Hey gang, thanks for listening to a new episode of Deep Dive. This time we're welcoming back one of our favorite guests, songwriter Martin Page. And uh, if you go back to the early days, I think Martin was like episode number 20, maybe. Of course, everyone knows Martin uh, wrote These Dreams, We Built This City, The King of Wishful Thinking, among tons and tons of other things. But what I wanted to do is bring him back because he sort of co-wrote most of and co-produced most of uh, Maurice White of Earth, Wind & Fire's first and I think only solo album. It came out in 1985. And you guys all know how much I love Earth, Wind & Fire. This album is so good and it's just in keeping with all the rest of the quality stuff they put out, but it sort of got lost in the shuffle. I didn't even know about it until a few years ago. So, but this was very important to Martin and he had a great relationship with Maurice and I thought it would be really interesting to get to know what it's like working with one of the greatest musical geniuses of all time. That's my feeling about Maurice. In addition, we also talk about, now Martin has a podcast called Radio Owl's Nest and every month he puts out a new episode and it's him playing versions of his of the songs he's written for other people. It is so much fun. So we kick off starting about that. We, uh, we talk about kind of his persona versus the music he makes and what motivates him to do that. And then we go track by track through the self-titled Maurice album from 1985. This is so much fun. Martin's the best. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Okay, let's talk about Radio Owl's Nest. You started this podcast about a year ago, and I have been wanting to have find a reason to have you back on so that we could talk about that, talk about some of your work. This seemed like the perfect situation to do that in. I've been an avid listener yeah, of Radio right. Owl's Nest since the beginning. For anyone who no, doesn't know, sure. At, once a month, you put out an, uh, an episode that's about 50 minutes to 60 minutes long, and it's you playing your music with you playing the DJ. It's very highly produced. But the music is not necessarily, it's not We Built This City over and over again. It's a lot of demos. It's a lot of remastered yeah. things. It's stuff you found in the in your archives that hasn't been heard before. Where did this idea yeah. come from? Because it is so much fun. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you you, uh, you feel that, John, because you're a professional. And, and I ju it just occurred to me that I thought, all these demos, you know, I'm prolific. I've got so many uh, recordings from the past, and a lot of my supporters sort of asked me about them, and I and I did, and I started to look and find all these cassettes, and I, I played them to myself, and thought these are fresh to me again, and um, I didn't even know some of these songs existed, and so as a child growing up in England. I was always enamored by the radio stations that were the uh, independent radio stations that were breaking through in England in the 60s, which is Radio Caroline and Radio Luxembourg. And it was very romantic for us lads when the Beatles were breaking to go to bed at night with your little transistor radio and, mm -hmm. and hear unusual music and hear things which were you wouldn't usually hear on the BBC. And mm -hmm. so it just occurred to me, I thought, I've got a Pro Tools studio, I've got all these masters, I should just try one for fun. And my studio here where I'm talking to you from is called Radio. It's always been called my Owl's Nest, the Owl's mm -hmm. Nest. I, it just occurred to me that it's a place where I can create, and it just felt very, very warm to me and, and uh, a bit mystical. So I thought, well, Radio Owl's Nest, let's try it. And so I did a, a show for fun. <laughs> now I'm on to the 11th show. Mm -hmm, I thought mm -hmm. maybe I'd do one, and my supporters would say, thank you very much, yeah. and leave by the back door. But right. they... 
they didn't. They sort of said we're into this, and I, you know, and I started to actually um, John enjoy it because it, I shoot from the hip. I don't plan the show very much. I reach for songs that um, people I know wouldn't have heard, songs that I uh, were demos for certain hits by people, and some unknown songs I would have written with Bernie Taupin or even Maurice White. And I and the demos that are on four track, you know, two track. Uh-huh. I've been around doing it such a long time that some of this is very, very homemade kind of stuff. And I find mm-hmm. that really quite thrilling to be brave enough to say a song that when I was young and hungry, I wouldn't play to people because I was a little bit too precious about it. Now mm-hmm. it's like I get off on saying this is a really rough demo. It's not really finished. I did it with Bernie. It's on a track Fostex. It's very hissy. Mm-hmm. But there's a vibe going on. And um, and I'm singing much higher because I was much younger. And mm-hmm. uh I, I had a lot of fun. I, I did have a lot of fun. And then I got a lot of feedback. That, and then I thought, this is really in, really good because I'm be, going to be selfish about this. It's going to be all my songs. Mm-hmm. And I can tell some of the stories behind it because that time at the 80s, you know, was very, very prolific for me in L.A. Sure. So telling the stories about what it was like then and when it really was a songwriter's town. So I sort of sit down and do these shows and, you know, literally play it by, it's like a live gig for me. I, I, I think to myself, what's the next song? And I'll put my hand into a box and go, okay, I'll play that one. And it's fun. And that's the main thing. And then I watched carefully, you know, how it, how my supporters took to it. And they actually sort of warmed up to it and mm. became very, very interested in it. And then uh, we started to have fun with it. You know, I was able yeah. to go back to the, the humour that I used to listen to on English radio, really, which mm-hmm. was like the Goons and early Monty Python. And, that, and, I, and I, even as a young lad, I think we all fancied that we wanted to be DJs. And in the back of my mind, because I had such a big record collection, I always thought, oh, I'd love to be asked to be a DJ mm-hmm. for a, a couple of hours. And now I'm doing it in my own studio at home. Yeah. And I'm, the thing was that John was, I think you probably relate to this, is I had to be careful that I didn't say, I'm going to do this every day or every mm-hmm. week. I thought, mm-hmm. that's going to be too much responsibility. So I thought once yeah. a month would be, and every now and then I do a special where I'll yeah. you know, have a like Brian, who wrote with me and Q-Phil, we'll do a little, um, a little interview together and, and try and remember things. So, yeah. yeah, it's been a lot of fun, John. As long as it's fun, I keep doing it, yeah. Yeah, it's a blast. And uh, so I'm, I, I'm going to, now that I know you a little bit better than I did four and a half years ago or whenever that was, I'm going to ask you something <laughs> that I've always wanted to ask. Okay. okay. So last I'm week. I'm six foot two. Six <laughs> foot two. My shoes are 11. I think size 11. I know that's what you've been waiting to hear. But that's exactly that's what I wanted to know. I know. Uh, no. Okay. So last week I interviewed somebody you know, and your name came up and I interviewed Cliff Magnus. And uh, oh my goodness, what a lovely man he is! He is great. I love Cliff. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So last week I interviewed Cliff, and we were going over his career. We yeah. talked about you and the song you guys did together. I'm blanking on the name of it now, but yeah. it was on the uh, Eric Martin well, on actually, the. Well, uh, we, we, yeah, we wrote. Two. We wrote actually three. I think three songs together uh, or two. Did you? Um, the children, and then a song called um, "No Way Out," which they used, they the used on a movie, Caddyshack the, too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So we were talking about you and he said something that really struck me because it's right. And this is you were talking about having fun doing Radio Owl's Nest. He he said you remind yeah. him of John Cleese. <laughs> and I thought that's true. John Cleese, we all know, is such a funny, lovable, 
you know, <laughs> gregarious guy. Well, I, always I take, has been. I take, uh, yeah, I, I take that as a compliment. I don't. I must have been doing the Ministry of Funny Walks around him when we were writing or something. <laughs> but you know, you know, Cliff's, Cliff's got a really good sense of humour. Uh-huh. And back in those days, you know, when I first came into LA, I was, I was quite a wacky lad, and so he was one of the, uh, you know, an American who seemed to really get that English sense of humour. And I do know working with him was again fun. And it, and I learned a lot from him. I mean, Cliff Cliff is real professional. So, yeah. and it, you know, it was a hungry time for me as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I was working with Maurice White and Earth, Wind and Fire, and he was with Quest in the kind of Quincy Jones mm-hmm. world, and we both loved R and B. So it was really really special for me to want to get with Cliff because I thought this is the Quincy Jones professional writers. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, and I did learn from Cliff. I mean, literally, I, I once I wrote with him. He just taught me so many things. Great singer, yeah. great guitarist, yeah. great, great all-rounder. Yep. You know, it was like, who sings the demo? I say, you do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he, great. He was I like his stuff a lot. Yeah, I kind of discovered him about a year or two ago, and I just can't get enough. He's so good. So here's where my question yeah. comes in. Ah. You're a little mysterious to me, Martin, because the jo- I don't imagine John Cleese, if he were a musician, putting out an album like the amber of memory and hotel uh-huh. of the two yeah. worlds you're it's almost as if and and you're this gregarious personality comes out so strongly in radio's radio owl's nest and when you intro the songs i understand better where that music comes from but there just seems to be such a difference between the gregarious guy and the music this uh-huh. gregarious guy chooses to make does that sound does that make sense at all I, I think I think it does. I mean, I, I think it does. I, 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 I'd have to say that I, I think possibly you'll understand what I'm saying here is that, um, yeah, artists are well-rounded and, you know, you don't get a chance when you're young to really do some of the things that possibly you grew up loving. And, and I was I was always an all-rounder um, in the sense that, you know, I, w- I knew what who uh, Jethro Tull were. I would know mm-hmm. who... Tangerine Dream, where I would know about classical music. I would understand about the funk. I was an all-rounder, and that's how I really did well in in Los Angeles. That I was able to go to someone like Robbie Robertson of the band, and then mm-hmm. next week be working with Josh Groban and doing mm-hmm. classical, and next week doing Earth, Wind, and Fire. It was because of my record collection, mm-hmm. and that I'd grown up. My best friends were listening to the, all these records and soaking it in, and I do believe that artists in general they may sound up and happy which and 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 i'm a little bit like a a manic depressive kind of guy Mm. in the sense that i will have melancholy moments because i get very lifted and very bright at times so Mm -hmm. i think just like comedians and just like a lot of artists there is a side of us which wants to portray the fears and uh, the deeper side of of our lives and that was always been john important to me even though i was known for dancing in heaven we built the yeah. city if yeah. you listen to the if you listen to these dreams mm-hmm. and you listen to fallen angel yep. you'll hear that that melancholy side that i i feel i've got to get out somehow and, and really if you listen to the music of these dreams without anybody singing on it and without its range you can it, it, it's hymnal so yeah. I had to do the Amber of Memory because I did, I wanted to pull out something which I don't want to sound really grand about it, but it's something existential about me, which was the blue place, the blue place where most artists go but don't want to be seen going there because they think nobody can take it. And 
I needed to do it. You know, I'm an older older artist, and and in my studio because I've always been a, a, an all rounder with instruments, synthesizers, and uh, playing with studio reverbs and echoes and creating ambience was very important to me to do at a certain point. But if you listen, really, even you know, we're talking, we're probably talking about Earth, Wind, and Fire. But if you listen to the mm-hmm. beginning of even Maurice White's solo record, which we totally. want to talk about, you'll yeah. hear you'll hear the sun uh, brewing up, and that's mm-hmm. me, me and Brian. Uh, saying to Maurice, let's build this track up for, as though it's a sustaining chord from uh, another world. And so mm-hmm. I was turning even Earth, Wind and Fire on a Maurice to, you know, Trevor Horn and Peter Gabriel and mm-hmm. a lot of the Ger- Tangerine Dream German bands. Even then, we were t- because music was changing. So again, to answer your question, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I remember, I know I'm confusing to people because when I was working with Daniel Lenoir and Robbie Robertson, writing for an angel and how's half acre i was really close to robbie and we were, and then daniel lamar heard that i wrote we built the city and he was incredibly mm. suspicious of me he just, he just <laughs> i always remember him just sitting in a corner staring at me like i was for miles and, mm-hmm. I, and and robbie told me that he said how can a man write a pop song that's number one and be writing you know about richard manuel's death review yeah he was yeah. very suspicious and uh robbie just said well he's bringing to me what i need i don't even think about that you know that was the thing which i could that used to confuse people because mm-hmm. you know they'd hear dancing in heaven and then they'd yeah. say how how does these dreams or like you mm-hmm. say the amber memory um come into the picture but i think that's just because when i was a boy and i, I won't go on any farther about this is I would put on a 45 record by Jethro Tull, say The Witch's Promise which was, mm, might have been their One single. of my favorites And then I'd yes. put on Sugar Yeah, and I'd put on yeah. Sugar Sugar by the Archie yeah. Then I'd yeah. put on, you know, Dancing in the Street by Martha mm-hmm. Vandella And then mm-hmm. I'd put uh, Genesis, you know uh, Watcher mm-hmm. of the Skies on So it, it was all across the board to me mm-hmm. If it was good, I wanted to do it and I wanted to know about it If I felt it, I wanted to do it Mm-hmm yeah, I um, I just uh, that's a it's just a mysterious side of you. And to be and to be honest, I've always sort of thought a little bit of the same thing with Jack Hughes, who I, you know, makes sense. You two Absolutely. are friends because his Wang Chung music is so poppy and, uh, and upbeat. But when he makes the music he wants to make, it's progressive. It's uh, more jazzy. Yeah. It's very different. And so I've always thought that about you. Like, I know this guy writes upbeat these dreams make a lot of sense comparatively to a lot of your solo stuff i know this guy writes maurice white is calling on martin page to come in and write funky upbeat songs with him but when martin (laughs) makes the music he wants to make a lot of it is this very mystical spiritual heavy's the wrong word but i I don't you know deep no i think i think i think you put your finger on it really because if you think about in the house of stone like my solo Mm -hmm. record and maurice White, who'd encouraged me to make that record. It's not an Earth, Wind, and Fire, or Go West, or Paul no. Young, or uh, a Cliff Magnus kind of record. It was a, my record, and it had a lot yeah. of folk influences in it, and it was funky and and in the distance, and there was even reggae and influences, but there was a lot of progressive rock there, like Jack. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what it is is that when you do get to do the things that you're allowed to do because you're reasonably secure because you've had the hits, mm-hmm. I think you, if you love music, you start to bring bring out of yourself your true colors. And you're not so scared, I think, as time goes on, of failing. 
And that's not the, the calling card when you're young. Nothing, mm-hmm. you can't fail when you're young. Everything you do has to be commercial. You want to win the day and move on. But then at a certain point, and I've been doing this for over 40 years, you feel like, well, I, I, you know, nobody's really looking over my shoulder to say mm-hmm. it has to be a hit song. I hope I can move somebody with some piece mm-hmm. of music which is not totally built to be just mm-hmm. uh, a flash in the pan. But you're right, Jack Hughes, is, uh, when I worked with him when we were uh, getting together in the early days of Wang Chung, it was obvious to me when he sat down and, and noodled and did his thing mm-hmm. that there was an absolutely deeper and mm-hmm. more expansive landscape to his music. Yeah. And he was even feeling like we all do a little bit. I'm sure he told you about it, but uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you write everybody have fun tonight and you're supposed to write two or three more of those. And, right. um, and that's always a lot of pressure. And I, I, Jack's latest album, you know, Primitive, mm-hmm. is beautiful. And uh, is. I, the more you listen to, the more you listen to it, uh, and mm-hmm. I found that, the more you just go, this is a man doing what he should be doing. Yep. And he's expressing himself and his lifetime the best way he can. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Well, you, uh, I just, you're a mystery to me sometimes, Martin, because there's just so... I don't, I don't do, I don't do silly walks anymore. No. I, like <laughs> I don't. I did it, I did it for, I did it for Cliff Magnus once, and he's never <laughs> forgotten it, but I don't do them anymore. I can't get my leg up that high. Oh, uh, that's that so that funny. <laughs> yeah, well, there's just, there's so many sides and angles to Martin Page. You just, uh, you're, a, you're a deep human being. It's got a lot of angles. I love it. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah, I, but it's hard, hard to explain, but I hope some of that made sense. It did, of course. I just wanted to, I just want to <laughs> understand you better. Um, okay, so let's yeah. talk about Maurice White. This album came out. I saw conflicting dates, but it looks like September 1985. It uh, wasn't like a huge hit. It hit number twelve on the R and B no. charts. One thing I am curious yeah. about is who. What studio did you record this in? Were you there? And if you were, who? what other bands were doing their thing in other studios at that time? I'm glad we're talking about Maurice White's solo record because still to me, he was a major mentor to me. And, He's uh, the greatest. Uh, I think that, yeah. I mean, I came under his wing at the right time. There were three three people really, Maurice, Bernie Taupin and Robbie Robertson that were very influential to me all around that period. But Maurice was such a spiritual man mm-hmm. and um, he took to me. And even though I was a hungry young kid who was naively pounding away, he saw something in me and we really bonded. I mean, in the later, you know, in the later years, even when he took me on after this album to his other projects like Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond, mm-hmm. but we became really, really personally close which Maurice didn't really do that a lot and he believed in my creativity my spark and he knew I was learning at a rapid speed so the energy that myself and Brian Fairweather brought because uh, we were the band q at that time he wanted mm-hmm. a bit of that it wasn't so much the sophistication of the stuff with David Foster and Charles mm-hmm. Stephanie he was looking for a new energy and I felt very proud that he believed that our force of nature was mm-hmm. important to him and after the Electric Universe record, even though that didn't do well, and Earthwind and Fire were, were basically breaking up, mm-hmm. he wanted to stay close to me for this album. So I was involved with the Maurice White solo album right all from the beginning, all the yeah. way through. Even though other people wrote songs, I was an associate producer, a producer mm-hmm. with him. And so I sort of went from day one right to the, right to the very last mix when we stayed up for like three days to get the album mm-hmm. finished. We worked it not in the complex, which was the, usually the studio that they 
refused. He wanted to change everything. So we worked a lot at the Soundcastle studio in, in Los Angeles. We were there uh, a great deal. I think Hollywood Sound for a while as well. And he wanted to change all the rules, mm. except what was wonderful about this album is he just sat me down and said, I'm going to do a solo record and I want you to be very close with me uh, mm. through it, throughout it. And he leaned on uh, us as young kids, um, which I think was, when I look back, John, I just think it's, uh, as I've got older, it's not, I, I always now revere older musicians that will give kids a chance. And uh, mm -hmm. he could have been doing this with anybody from, you know, any anybody in the world he could have he's had such an experience from miles davis all the way through yeah. and yet he was saying the the the, the spirit of you two guys is what mm -hmm. i want around me so yeah i was involved for that album uh for about 10 months uh non-stop mm -hmm. i mean although and although he was producing it it was a great honor for him to say to myself and brian you know i want you in the studio when i sing my lead vocals when uh, you know we were producing his vocals with him which is That's you know crazy. it's it, and i learned yeah, I learned so much again through that record. I mean, yeah. it, I, I still have the mem memories of that because it was great musicianship, great creativity. I started up about four or five, six songs at home here mm -hmm. in the same house I'm sat here. And then I would just really? go to his house yeah, and play him rough, rough, rough ideas. And, oh. and, and then we would go and he would choose three, maybe out of the seven things I did. And uh, Switch on the Radio, the first track, was the first mm -hmm. song that I wrote for him. Because we, it was more to do with spirit than anything else. He, yeah. like, he, he just wanted to. He, he was breaking away from Earth, Wind, and Fire, and he was looking to uh, change nearly, nearly everything about. And in his his book that he's that is out about, you know, Maurice Light's book, he does explain mm -hmm. in great detail about what that process was for this album. And he regrets that he recorded it so quickly after Electric Universe. He wished mm. he'd had step step back for two years. But he, he felt like, if I'm ever going to make a solo record, I'm going to make it now. And he put his heart and soul into it. We all yeah. did. And uh, I do still I still do believe that um, it's a much better record. Uh, and I think it's been shown with all the critical response it's got. It's it so could have done much better. Yeah. It. And uh, they, they felt, he felt a little bit like Columbia Records once he didn't have a top hit. So that, that's it. You know, if you're not Lionel Richie, we don't want to know. And that's yeah. what he regrets because there was a lot of tracks on there which could have uh, mm -hmm. uh, he could have come through the R and B side much stronger. But they were they as soon as Stand by Me, the first single, only reached number fifty in the pop charts. They they basically gave up shop and they were looking really. I have to say, I think it was like him against Nana Richie, and that was not that mm -hmm. was not fair for where he the experience that he'd had with Earth, Wind and Fire. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I think the album deserved a better shot. And over time, I can see over time, because I was studying it a bit today before we did the interview, I was looking on YouTube, and it's a, it's a deeply under, loved underground kind of record. It's, it's um, fantastic. I think I have a theory about uh, Maurice. I, first of all, Earth, Wind & Fire are like in my top 10 favorite bands of all time. I have every album. I love everything they do. I worry yeah. that because Maurice was sick for so long and therefore kind of out of the spotlight, that his yeah. genius gets has been forgotten to some degree. You don't hear him mentioned yeah. like you do a Stevie Wonder or a Marvin Gaye or a Smokey Robinson or whatever, even though he is right up there. I mean, he and oh, Stevie I, I, I are probably the two biggest music geniuses, African-American yeah. musical geniuses I, ever. I mean, really. 
No, well, I, I have to I have to agree with you, John. Yeah, he he was a he was a quiet man. Um, mm. While Quincy Jones and Lana Ritchie would be uh, out, you know, pushing themselves, he mm. he was a very quiet man, and he he looked at, upon fame as a very careful thing to negotiate. He was a very deep man. I mean, mm. he, he was very deep, and and he would accept that if uh, you didn't have success, it, uh, and if you had success, you had to sell your soul. He'd say, "No, I, you know, it's not not right for me." Um, mm. He he was a, a musician at heart, but you're right. I mean, I worked in the studio with him in every aspect, and he was a genius, and he was a masterful, a, a visionary, yeah. in, in feel and in spirit. Yeah. It wouldn't be technical. He'd let me and Brian do the slave reels and, and yeah. work out technically what we do. But his concept and his way of making, which I learned a great deal about, was allowing musicians to express themselves, which really, coming from England, uh, from uh, jive records and a, and a pop mm -hmm. heritage we never really were allowed to do what earth wind and fire mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. big bands in america did where they would you know their budgets were could go on forever and musicians were allowed to experiment we weren't used to that and mm -hmm. so he really educated me on saying you know allow the music to breathe let each player find his soul and find his performance and so that was just so special for me to see so in all my future work and particularly in the House of Stone and Light record, the beginning of my solo career, I started. To, I already felt like um, it's about finding um, mm. spiritual performances. Mm. It's about finding players, uh, really expressing extraordinary musicianship and putting magic into the tracks. Now, it, it sounds corny, uh, but Maurice had that. And of Absolutely. course, what a singer! Yeah. I mean, what a singer! He's never mm. really been credited for the no. way he sings. He's mm -hmm. a superb singer. And I and I, I get a little bit pissed off that uh, yeah. that the, the R&B community didn't really reward him as a singer, one of these mm -hmm. great, great American singers. Because you listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire, and it's him and Philip Bailey, but you know that sound. And I've I've been with him when we've been, you know, w working up songs. And I know David Foster says the same thing when we were at his funeral. David Foster was this this man was an incredible uh, arranger as well, yeah. an yeah. incredible arranger. He would take chances. And some things didn't come off, but maybe out of three things, maybe one was absolutely outstanding. And I don't think, as you just said there, John, I think if you listen to the records, particularly from the 70s, yep. and you hear Stevie, Stevie Wonders, you go, unbelievable. And then yeah. you hear All in All and Earth, Wind and Fire in the 70s, mm -hmm. and you go, untouchable. These, yep. these are the two artists that were making R&B music that also had commentary in the lyrics. It wasn't yeah. just like Baby, you know. I'm yep. waiting for you to uh, That's it. in my car outside. They were trying to both of Stevie Wonder and, and Maurice uh, yep. to stretch out. And, and at Maurice's uh, memorial, I was speaking to Stevie Wonder about it. And Stevie Wonder was saying Maurice was a huge, huge influence on them, which oh, was good. amazing to hear because because they were both <laughs> untouchable geniuses. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, I, uh, real quick, uh, you mentioned Switch on your radio. I just wanted to throw uh, a couple thoughts in there and a question.
first of all, I think it's a fantastic first track. You and Brian co-wrote it. It's uh, peppy, and it announces Maurice's solo debut with authority. And um, there's some great lines in there, like we're stepping out. And um, I don't know who does the guitar yeah. solo on there. Who, uh, do you, you know, remember who did that? Uh, I think I think the guitar player that, uh, I, I believe that it was, hang on a minute, let me just, uh, yeah, Paul Jackson Jr. Was I it? Was okay, I wonder. Playing the guitar. Okay. And it was, it was basically, I wrote, I wrote the song musically at home and brought it up to all the horn stabs and things. And uh, yes, it's the energy that I wanted mm-hmm. to, to bring into it. I wanted to bring in a, fi- a fire native zone. Now, I always wished <laughs> that he used real horns because mm. <clears throat> just like Phil Collins, I, was, mm-hmm. I came into Earth with a fire and I'm going, where are the horns? And he yeah. was, and he was going to go against that and use synthesizers. And I, it was like, oh, I, could mm-hmm. do, I, wish, the, I wish these were real horns. But um, I did the demo, and I was, pl- you know, I played the bass on it and everything. So we went to the valley to do a little eight-track demo of it, and then when it came to record it, he said, uh, "I said, who's going to play the bass for it?" And he said, "No, you are." So mm. that was one of the biggest thrills of my life that I played the bass, the first track on Maurice's solo record, um, and I'm playing the funk nice. bass on that. That's because nice. I started in England as a bass player in, mm-hmm. in soul bands in Oxford and, and Bristol. Mm-hmm. So to be uh, playing uh, with Maurice and um, John Robinson and Jerry Hale as musicians, I, I, you know, it, it was a little bit too much, too much for me to take. Yeah, and I must I have been playing the bass on that track. My hands became a stump of blood because <laughs> I was trying so hard and slapping. Good. I remember Good for you. I nearly had to go to the hospital after. Yeah, I, I could turn the speakers up and let me slap the bass, and then after three hours, it was like, take me to the hospital, I'm bleeding profusely. Right. <laughs> There's the John Cleese. So, but let me. So let. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. It was. You've been asked to write a song for Maurice White, and I'm guessing, I mean, this song has a purpose. This song makes a statement. As I said, we're stepping out. This is, I don't know if you intended it to be the first track on the album, but it sounds like it was written with the purpose of being a statement song, you know? Yeah, and I think we knew straight straight away, and I did have that in my mind when I was writing on, on, you know, on the keyboards. I just thought I'd like to first go up to Maurice's house and play him something which has spirit and balls, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, has a little bit of that, you know, at that period, you know, that we were doing drum machines more. And Brian, my partner, was a great drum programmer. And so we were thinking a little bit about breaking loose and the breakout, and, and it was very mm-hmm. much at that kind of time. And so, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a fire zone of a song. And all through the album, what I found which was really, really great and happened on past uh, this album is Murray started to lean on me for lyrics on on lots of material so um, it was always me and him throughout the album sat in his house late at night writing the lyrics to these songs together he really trusted me as a lyricist and i was a bit you know baffled at first because i knew he had a great team ali willis and all these different mm-hmm. writers and wayne mm-hmm. vaughn but he he liked the way i came came at lyrics for him and every time and, and i always knew what a, a lyricist a, a singer would want to sing so mm-hmm. i think some of the ideas that i came up for him because it, R&B lyrics, uh, you know, it's much to do with percussive and uh, the sound of it. So he started to, you know, call on me for songs that I didn't even start and say, I need lyrical help on this. And so that was lovely as well. But yes, Switch On Your Radio, um, uh, we seemed to know early on, even when we were doing the demo, and uh, that it was going to be an opener kind of song. Um, I think think we needed to do that, and that's how the record company, I think the record company, when they heard that early on, they got excited and said, okay, Maurice is coming with a bit of 
bit of force here. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love it. And I think I said turn on your radio, but of course I meant switch on your radio. Anyway, track two, Jamboree. Yeah. You didn't write this one. I don't know who the Eccles no, are, but I love this song. And I yes. believe, is that Gerald Albright playing sax on this song? Yeah, I, yes, I think, yes, it was. And I remember that uh, Maurice said, listen to this song, and he played me a cassette of the demo. And, and uh, I thought, well, that's very sparky, you know? And I was a little bit jealous. I said, you know, I want to write all the songs in this record. You know, I don't know where this is. I, you know, I was a bit like, well, it's all right. Yeah, but no, I could beat that. Right. But then as soon as we started to record it, and he brought in, you know, there was, you know, Boddicker with the synthesizers, mm -hmm. he was there, we used no vocoder, and there was a really great energy about it. And uh, when Maurice, even though Maurice was using myself and Brian as uh, associate producers, when he made his mind up about a song he was going to do, we couldn't stop him. You know, mm -hmm. even if I said, yeah, yeah, he would go like, yeah, but wait until we get in the studio. And he was quite right. The, over the the year that we were working, every time we went back to that track to uh, to, to work on it, I just thought it's got a, it's got a great strut feel, mm -hmm. a great 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 strutting feel mm -hmm. about it. Which I um, so yeah, I was yeah. I didn't write that one, and I and I told him I was pissed off that I didn't write it, but we, <laughs> we put it on the album anyway. <laughs> I love it, I love it, and uh, I wanted to mention some of the other heavy hitters that are on this album. We I mentioned Gerald Albright, you mentioned Michael Boddicker, that's a big one. Paul Jackson Jr. There's also Michael Columbia. I think that's how you say his name. I've uh, never known. Columbia. Columbia. Okay. Paulino DaCosta, yeah, yeah. Jerry Hay, uh, Abraham Laboreal. Hopefully I'm saying that one right too. Mm -hmm. Jeff Lorber, Greg Fillingains, Peter Wolf. These are all legendary names. That's why I'm, some of these names I haven't said out loud, but I've read on the backs of records for my entire life, hundreds and hundreds of times. You know what I mean? Well, that, it, was, it was the same for me, John, the same for yeah. me. I mean, I grew up in, in, in London uh, studying all the records by all these players. And mm -hmm. myself and Brian and my musicians that I worked with in London, we, we read the album covers that came in from mm -hmm. America 
and all these musicians we'd studied. And so for me to walk in the studio and be with, be with them was a bit of a, was it was a, like a dream, you yeah. know, come true because we were, we were, that was the era of session musicians mm-hmm. and uh, Los Angeles had the most, the musicians that we absolutely revered, all these people, John Robinson on drums, you know, with Rufus and, and Jeff Vaccaro and Toto. We were just huge fans of these players. So, when you're suddenly turning up with your song and these musicians are there, it's, uh, oh, you know, you have to slap gosh. your face a bit and go, my yeah. goodness, here we go, you know. Yeah. But I'm uh, with Peter Wolf. Peter Wolf was a great keyboard player, Peter Wolf. Mm-hmm. Not the Peter Wolf from Jay Giles, but the no. Peter Wolf was the keyboard player who, in my career, he became really important because he took my, he was he was produced these dreams. Uh, well, mm-hmm. he played keyboards on, he brought these dreams to heart and, and he produced We Built a City. And so I brought him into the Maurice White sessions. And, of course, Peter was an incredible keyboard player who was in the Frank Zappa band. So mm-hmm. as soon as he got with Maurice and, and these two jazzers, and Maurice was, you know, very loved music, musicality, that's how Peter got, Peter got involved in the, mm-hmm. in the album. I was very pleased to bring him in for that. Peter's great. I had him on the show a few months ago or just, uh, I think, in like April or something Pete, like that. that. Peter Wolf. Yeah. Peter uh-huh. Wolf. Yeah. Not, not the J, not the J. No, J. no, Charles. you're Peter Wolf, this guy, the producer. Oh my the, we don't, we just, yeah, we haven't been able to find him. We, oh, we really? Didn't know what had happened to him. Oh, yeah. he, um, he. When, when did you interview him? I interviewed him. I think that uh, that episode came out in April, so I probably talked to him wow, in March. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'll send he, you his he, email he address. Ter- terrible, he went through a terrible car crash, didn't he? Oh, if he did, I don't think he mentioned that. He is developing a television yeah, yeah. show. And then, yeah, that's. Then we then we lost touch with him, you know, and we yeah. didn't know if he was in LA or anything. He's been oh. very quiet. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's yeah. great to hear. That's yeah, so he's fantastic. Yeah. He told so many. Uh, same with you. All these great stories, and he's done so much music that everyone knows, you know. So we're just getting story after yes, story. Yeah. It was fantastic. I'll uh, I'll send you his email address after we get out because uh, to oh, Diane I, that, anyway. I would be I, I would be thrilled with that because we've been trying to reach him, and there's a documentary being done on mm-hmm. We Built the City, and oh. people that are making it can't find him. Yeah, I mean, he even produced King of Wishful Thinking. I did yeah. to go west, so he was yeah. he, he was very 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 helpful to me and in some way I, I wanted him to be involved in the Maurice White uh, project quite early right. on before he was producing all the hits. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you, I'd be very oh, thrilled yeah. to get his email. Thank I you. will. I'll send it to you. He, we yeah. talked about all these things that you're mentioning. Yeah, he was great. Okay, Thanks. track three Stand By Me Oh 
this is a very pleasant, but ultimately, I think, maybe a little unnecessary cover of this song. It's uh, That's just my own personal uh-huh. opinion. There's nothing wrong with it. But um, one, yeah. uh, I read a, I was reading a bunch of, like, articles and reviews and stuff like that. One that I felt was, a, one quote that I pulled that was a little strong says it was a rare lapse in taste for an otherwise really excellent album. And I, I don't know if I'd go the, quite that far. One thing I am curious about was, did the record label encourage or maybe even force him to include a cover like this because they thought they needed it in order to sell this album or did, was it a natural like he wanted to do this he brought this on it was a natural uh, choice of his he's always okay. wanted this uh it, it was yeah he he had that up his sleeve right from the beginning and we we came in and tried to arrange it very different and we did uh, very different um background vocals brian fairweather my partner helped a great deal on that and we and we arranged a very different kind of arrangement, even added different lyrics towards the mm-hmm. end. And I, I think, in a way, Maurice, Maurice heard it. I suppose, really, what I'm trying to say here is the same way that he did that cover, you know, of the of the Beatles songs back in mm. the 70s, where he would every now and then he would every now and then, you know, take a song that everybody sort of knew, mm-hmm. and he would like to absolutely change its point of view. So, mm-hmm. I think. Also, as you were saying now, I think uh, the record company probably thought, oh, this is quite a safe way to go mm-hmm. as a single. Right. You know, I, I tend to agree with you a little bit. I, I tend to think that it would, might not have been a bad idea to have started with something else and then to no. stand, stand by me to possibly mean the second or third mm-hmm. single. That's, that I, I sort of agree with that. But mm-hmm. I still think it deserved to be higher than um, what, uh, in the pop charts than what uh, the sure. record company. As soon as they saw it stalling around 50, they were like, get out, quickly, yeah. get out. And yet, I think he could have easily, uh, he should have popped from the top 40 with that, you know, and yeah. a bit of a dent. But I can yeah. see why people would think, would, people might think, like, why did he do that? But if we think back again, he has taken songs from the past, even the Beatles song, and, and done very, mm-hmm. very interesting arrangements on them. Mm-hmm. It was a fun track to do in the sense that we were always battling to, to um, shake it up a bit and do it dif- differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a very nice cover. There's nothing wrong with it. It just stands out a little bit when there's songs like Switch on Your Radio sure. or Believe in Magic sure. or Invitation, all these great upbeat, you know, songs that are really of the well, moment I, I that t- could I, I be t- better t- first I, I singles. Think, you know, I think I think I think even back in the day, when, when they, I think the record com- a record company chose it as a single. Yeah. But I think even I was we were thinking, oh, Jamboree, Invitation switching the radio because we thought that possibly the R&B radio would jump on these at first mm-hmm. and go oh Maurice has done something which we all really can relate to yet mm-hmm. Stand By Me was definitely made to be, to hit the pop charts you can tell mm-hmm. the way True. it was produced uh, it was definitely more oriented to the white market and I think Maurice felt a little bit let down that although he went with mm-hmm. what the record company said they wanted him to do because you see you had you had and I, and it's not mentioned a lot, but I think with Lana Ritchie, you know, he'd broken through really from R&B straight into pop. He, he, everything he did was, was really a pop record. And I think Maurice, you know, if he had his chance to think again, I think he might have started off in a more, shall we say, funkier place and then mm-hmm. uh, allowed the black radio to take it. That's, mm. But, you know, I was a young kid then, and so you, you sort of go with the flow. Sure. And, you, and you all expect. Maurice to get maybe one or two or three hits going mm-hmm. down there. So when Stand Mud by Me stalled, uh, we were all a little bit confused by that, you know. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Okay, track four is Sea of Glass. This one's written by Brian and Peter Wolf.
one of those interludes, yep. and Maurice White loves interludes. <laughs> well, on all the Earth, Wind right. & Fire albums, there's all the Kalimba interludes and Africa interludes yep. and stuff. Do you, did he ever talk to you about like what the why or what the philosophy behind that was? Well, we were the same, Brian and myself. You know, mm -hmm. we'd, we'd grown up with, you know, Genesis and Pink Floyd. And so we were totally into that stuff. So mm -hmm. we, we, we were even pushing him to do that more than he was doing it. Mm -hmm. And if you listen as the album progresses, there's more, more interludes. Yep. But that's what I fell in love with a lot about Earth, Wind & Fire, because I just thought, this isn't Cameo. This isn't, you know, a, a normal funk band that's mm -hmm. going to just make a hit single and then make another one, another one, repeat. So Maurice showed this a great tendency for experimentation and his jazz heritage. It was lovely. I mean, I, as a kid growing up, and I mean, I really was a kid listening to Earth, Wind & Fire before I, I, I worked with them. I used to really know, I, I knew and I sensed, like, probably like you do, John, that this was a band that was um, musically super. Yeah. I mean, this was a, a 10... 11 piece band that had every ingredient from from jazz through to you know latin through to funk through to mm -hmm. pop it touched absolutely everything and i remember well, it's a, a nice little story really that before nice. i even worked with maurice white my manager diane ponter had, had uh, got some tickets for me because i we'd, i'd met her in la and i said oh earth and a fire mine you know all time great mm -hmm. what a question about so she said, I'm going to get you some tickets from Cavallo Ruffalo, who managed them, and for Wembley in London, so you can go and see them. Mm -hmm. Oh, fantastic. So I got, Diane got me the three tickets, my Brian and Trevor and my band. We got to Wembley really early, you know, sat mm -hmm. in the front row, and they were there. And this is an hour before the band plays, and we're, we're, we were excited because we're seeing Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm -hmm. And they were out on the back. Maurice was out on the stage with the, with the Larry, the keyboard player, and they were working through the arrangements, and he was out just... They were, I said, that's what a real band does. They are just before they're they're working out music musical things. It wasn't it wasn't just pop. Mm -hmm. It was like this was a band that was still trying to hone in the big picture, and it was all based on music. They went through a few interludes, you know, as we were just sat there watching, you know, in, in the crowd because we were so eager to see it. And within a month, I was in Westlake Studio, sat with Maurice White, talking to him about working with him. <laughs> with the fire. So wow. it was like from a month of not just watching him, wow. you know, warm up the band, yeah. I was suddenly a month later through Hook or Crook sat oh. in the studio while he was interviewing me Amazing. about um, working yeah. with them. And luckily, another lovely little story is that my, the, the thing that really broke it is that my record Dancing in Heaven was mm -hmm. on the charts in K Rock here. But uh, my father worked for British Aerospace and he. And he said, oh, you know, do the, 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 does your dad believe in UFOs? I said, oh, yeah, yeah the pilots see UFOs. That was it. Really? We connected on UFOs. Yeah. As soon as we both said, oh, there are UFOs in the world, I was in the band. No way. I, I, was, I was in. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember that I got on with him really well because he has a great sense of humor. Yeah. I mean, you know, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a, I, uh -huh. I love the old English. He took, he took to it. I mean, wow. we laughed and we laughed. And even in his book, he said, you know, when he brought me and Brian into Earth, Wind and Fire, the rest of the band were a bit like, who are these Brits? Uh -huh. You know, what, what was happening here? Yeah. He said that within a very short time, everybody was laughing. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that was, I do remember that. Um, I think what, helps me work with Maurice is that I made him yeah. laugh a lot. So oh my gosh. Wow. One of the biggest things. Wow. But it was, it's a bit of a mystery to me. That, but talking about those interludes, what I'm trying to say is that I watched them, you know, and I was around him when they were rehearsing and they were more, they were into 
music. Mm. Maurice was into experimenting that way. He, mm. he was brave that way. And of course, me and Brian, as English guys, we would be talking to him about Pink Floyd and Peter mm. Gabriel and what was happening with the album, you know, security and experimentation with synthesizers. And he was totally into that. So if you think about it, we were saying, you know, mood, atmosphere, ambience, mm -hmm. and, you know, create this mystical feeling, which I've always been into. And, and before that, he was doing it in his kalimba and Africa and jazz ways. So, yes, on this album, mm -hmm. I think our hardest thing was not putting an interlude every mm -hmm. after every song. Interesting. <laughs> we like to do that. Okay. Yeah. I well, mean, every time we finished recording a song, it was like, should we extend it? Shall we... <laughs> Yeah, we go on for another hour yeah. into the into the jungle. So we had to control ourselves. Okay. We were all into that kind of thing. And that and that song, Sleep and Flying, was a, a jam that I think Peter Wolf was playing on the keyboard and mm. Brian, uh, my partner, he was in the room at the same time and he started to play some melodies. And Maurice was there and he just said, I love that, I love that, start mm. recording. So wow. It was one of those magical okay. things where, where Maurice said, whatever you're doing, um, Keep it up, and then I, I, then they, you know, find a title for that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So it was a uh, great. That's how that happened. Okay, well, uh, interludes are going to pop up two more times on this album, and I'll, I'll get to those. Yeah, I'll yeah, mention them when we get there. There's a lot more interludes. There's a lot more interludes than that that never got on the record. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, okay, <laughs> the last song on the first side is "I Need You." No offense to anyone, this one's probably my least favorite song on the album, not because I don't like it, but because everything else I feel like just kind of outshines it. I don't know if it's a cover. I don't know who William Smith or Priscilla Coolidge or Mary Unobsky no, are. No, the lady, the lady called uh, Mary Unobsky wrote that song. Okay. She's a songwriter that's based, based in Nashville. Maurice came in with that song and just basically played it to us okay. and said, I've got this song and I, and I really want to sing this. Okay. And, I, and, I, and in all honesty, I thought, oh, it's a straight chord mm -hmm. ballad, you know, yeah, yeah, okay. And of course, me and Brian were always tuned to wanting to be sharp and edgy. Mm -hmm. uh, but Maurice knew that he wanted to sing that. And I can tell you that every, every person, for what it's worth, particularly women, they absolutely idolized I that song. That. And we were just sat there, and everybody who came into the studio, females, fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. And I think it really 
uh, did the right thing. Even mm. though we were, Brian and I were like, well, yeah, okay. Mm. There was a power in that song. And even my manager, Diane Pontier, said, you know, this song really touches me now. And I, I'm so pleased it's on the record. And, and I think it was possibly uh, the second single. So yeah, it was. It had a very, very, very big response mm -hmm. from, from women. And now, later down the line, I can see why Marie saw the potential. Yeah. I really can. I get it. I just... As we've established, I just think. Well, you're not a woman, are you? You're not a woman. <laughs> that's you one can't issue. Feel it. Yeah. Can I? That's that's one of the problems. <laughs> but it just there's so many other more interesting things happening on this album than the Stand by Me cover and the I Need You ballad, and yet those are the two Trojan horses that go out first and second to announce well, it just this album. To say you don't know what you're listening it's to, true. John. Well, that's the first two singles. It means you're way off. I know. I know. I know. Clearly, I would be the wrong guy to promote this album because i do it totally different but anyway. well actually i think if you promoted it we'd have probably done better so maybe been all right. maybe maybe <laughs> i think so so yeah it was a that was a minor hit it was okay but and it's a it's a very nice song it's beautiful and everything it's just one of the more least interest one of the least interesting songs on the album comparatively i, I know i know where you're coming from yeah. because when, when it was first put forward to us we we were a little bit brian and i we were a little mm -hmm. bit like mm, okay that's the standard way but over time we were mm -hmm. in the studios and watching people's responses to it and even to this day if you look at it on youtube it's, it's uh, some of his female supporters just think it's some of the best work he's ever done so there, there is a connection in the in the simplicity yeah. of the beautiful lyric and i think mary obviously did a it is a very very strong very strong i believe it without a doubt Okay, uh, the track six is Believe in Magic. There, I have two favorite songs on this album. This is one, and the other one's gonna come up in a little bit. written by Diane Warren and Maurice and Robbie Buchanan, which I think is a name I recognize, but I'm not sure. Who's Robbie Buchanan? Well, Robbie Buchanan is a, it was one of these very, very, very uh, successful keyboard players in That's LA around that time, okay. in the vein of the Michael Bodikers. Mm. And he was breaking through. And the story of, of Robbie Buchanan, lovely guy. I was, I was bumping into him around the studios because he was beginning to produce a lot of stuff. He was a technician in the sense of like a Michael Bodica. Mm -hmm. Now, Maurice wanted to co-produce the whole album with Robbie. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it, it, that was what was going to happen. Um, Robbie is very, was a very detailed, oriented, technical kind of guy. And when we went in the studio to record the early tracks, 
Robbie was a, was a co-producer with me. Mm. But Robbie was so into precision of drum machines mm. and technicalities, Marie started to get quite frustrated mm. because it came down to even a point where when we were programming drum machines, uh, Robbie thought that the drum machines weren't uh, in time with the Simpty code. Mm -hmm. And so we spent like four to five hours with, he did with, the, uh, with calipers, yeah. uh, going down to a tape machine and measuring with chalk where the drum machine yeah. was hitting with the click track yeah. and with Simpty. Now, this is not the greatest territory for Maurice White, who's mm -hmm. a live player to be in. And why my fingers bled and why my, I, my hands really fell off is because he was, uh, Robbie was producing me while I played the bass and he made me drop in about a thousand times mm. it was precision now Maurice sat in the back of the room and watched all this and when he saw people with calipers and toolboxes going to the tape machine to measure where a drum beat came down onto a tape he uh, got very frustrated and he basically said to Robbie I don't want you to co-produce the uh, mm. album you can associate you can do so associate production and that's where me and Brian came in got it. more okay. because Maurice said I, I got a flow he said I just can't do this with drum machines and uh, click tracks and simply, yes, I'm into drum machines, but we shouldn't be measure, measuring them with measuring sticks mm -hmm. and writing chalk on tape. So, it, that, but that's where, lovely man, very, very skillful, mm -hmm. lovely guy. But then at that point, Robbie Buchanan became more of an, a, a songwriter to the project got and it. not what they thought he was going to be, which was, uh, and when I got out of hospital with my hand that had been chopped off, I was very pleased <laughs> that I didn't have to play bass again right. in front of Robbie. Um, right. but, but this song, this song, uh, we, uh, Robbie Buchanan worked a lot with Diane Warren. Mm. They were like a team. And uh, the, and um, the groove's fantastic. The drum, mm -hmm. you know, it's a really modern it is. trap. Yes. And uh, uh, we, but, but basically, Brian and I were sat back letting them do their job on mm. this because this is where Robbie Buchanan uh, did his sort of final work with this. It's fantastic. On more of yeah. touching the songs that he was doing. But great energy. And when yep. I listen to this record now, because I listened to it today for the first time, I thought it started side two. Yeah, with a great, a great, a great force. It is. I love it. It's. A, I'm a sucker for songs that have like slightly epic nature to them, and this one kind of does. I noticed too at the end there's yes. sort of a chanting happening, and it sounds like a foreign language. Knowing now, discuss yes. like we were discussing earlier, your sort of spirituality and mysticism mixed with Maurice's who comes from, I think, a very similar well, kind of place. You, when you hear out, when you when when you hear Alpha Dance appear again mm -hmm. on the end, particularly on the 2001 release when they put on extra tracks, mm -hmm. that is taken from Alpha Dance is taken from those chants that were done uh, on um, believe, believe in Magic. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, we're not we've got not got there yet. But when I, when I wrote uh, Children of Africa with Maurice, we were thinking very much about trying to bring in that mysticism mm -hmm. and tribal and pagan and native feel as well which was which was something that he wanted to incorporate and you're, you're right i think i think it, it was actual zulu words i think oh. it was words that were found down the line i believe maurice looked into it deeply and i believe the chants do uh, do have a meaning to them i yeah. could see that i could see that although i can't tell you what what the meaning is you know it's probably a, a very uh, sacred religious mm. sacrifice that we shouldn't talk about okay. but uh yeah it was a, great i do know that's such a Maurice thing. I do know those words. Got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that is that and one other song is my are my favorites on the album. Track seven is "Lady Is Love." You did write this one with Maurice and Michael Columbier. I did.
This yeah. is a, a ballad, but it's not a ballad like the other ones. It's it's almost more of a thoughtful ballad. And it does pick up at some point. There's some fantastic... I always think of guitar, the guitar work in this. I, I know it's not Nile Rodgers, but it sounds a little bit like his yeah. sound, his rhythm guitar strum, you know, which is like yes. trademarked yes. at this point, you know? Yeah, I think, again, I think it was Paul Jackson Jr. And was I, it? I think possibly... There was a, another guitarist who he was a, a he was brought in towards uh, uh, David Williams. He worked with Michael Jackson, great rhythm player. I think he was involved. Funny enough, it's interesting that you picked on that guitar part because on YouTube, uh, the guitarist take, take "Lady Is Love" and they perform on it. They like oh. to show themselves playing the guitar parts to "Lady mm. Is Love." It seems to be a thing that guitarists think is quite an exceptional part. So you probably your cool. ear is picked up on that. I love it. Now Michel, Michel Colombier, fantastic. French jazz composer and made some incredible records. I think in the 70s with Jacob Astorius. Mm -hmm. So I was a huge, there was a, I was a huge fan of Michel's work and a lot of film work he did. So Michel had written the music and Maurice was constructing some of the melodies with me on top of what Michel had written. Mm -hmm. Great, great thrill to work with Michel Colombier. And uh, I wrote the words with Maurice and uh, I produced some of it. And again, we, if you, uh, it goes into an interlude. Yes, uh, that's what I was going to say. It ends with a long I mean, coda. As you say, as you say it's, yeah. it, it's not a, a normal, normal, I think it was a third single. And it did quite mm -hmm. well in, in the AC chairs. But it, it's not a normal ballad. And I think that's because mm -hmm. of Michel Colombier's chordal phrasing and his choice of chords there's mm -hmm. a slight uh, european mystical feeling yeah. about some of the music there is that, which is quite uh, not totally r&b which is i think that's that's his great uh, and his great color that he brought to that song yeah um i'm glad you mentioned that it was a third single once again just to establish the three ballady songs on this album are the ones that were released as singles and they're all great but it would have been nice for one of the high energy upbeat funky dance songs to have gotten yeah. out there as well you know well i, I think this is what we, you know if you look at the, if you look at the album cover you know which mm. is also me and brian were like well it's a, you know it's taken by a fantastic photographer and it's beautiful but it's maurice there with his jumper on you know mm. looking so i think they, i think it was a record company pushing much mm. more towards you know we're up against lionel richie i really felt yeah. that and, and ac you know, it's really like trying to get that AC covering. And I think that's why the bars... And, I, you know, I, I felt that slightly instinctively. I thought, I wish the cover 
was more gutted. Yes. And yes. I wish we were p- pulling on a little bit more of the the heavy funk that mm-hmm. Maurice came from in the city in the city uh, the city area. And of course, later on when they went on to do System of Survival and Recover Earth, Wind, and Fire to a certain degree. They went back to a certain urban place. Mm-hmm. And I must admit, in all truth now, you know, they were using Harry Langdon, his top photographer and everything, for, but he does all the, all the, all the wonderful, yeah. you know, film stars. And I remember thinking, in my gut, I thought, I still think we could have gone more on the slightly yeah. spirited, uh, rougher edge of where Maurice uh, came from as well. But that, I think those choices of singles, without a doubt, was they were saying, A.C., A.C., let's get, let's, he's a balladeer, he's a balladeer. Let's get him up against Lionel Richie, you know. You're right. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I had, I well, I did think of this, but I didn't know that we would talk about it. Putting an album out with a pink cover sends the wrong message. I don't yeah. know too many guys that want to buy an album that's pink. You know what I mean? Even if even if it is Maurice White. Like I read an article once years, yeah. years ago that albums where Prince appears nude or almost nude sell worse than his regular albums. And that's whether Dirty Mind or Love Sexy, they're just as good. But a guy doesn't want to buy a CD with a naked Prince on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Any more than he wants to buy a yeah, Maurice yeah. album with pink sweaters and pink backgrounds yeah, it's, never, it's never worked it's never worked for me whenever i've done the naked covers <laughs> never worked and you uh, know this firsthand I, I, you know yeah. i've tried yes. yeah i thought i thought you know prince did it i'll do it but it's been worse for me you know yeah. actually albums came were delivered back to me um okay i wanted to read one and i can't and i can't even i can't even look at them you know, no, at this right. point, I, it's even hard for me. frankly nobody can to be honest no i'm kidding uh okay i want to read you one quote that yeah. i read in people magazine that came out at the time and it says but even if white may be a little lonely these days his music is always welcome and i wondered was that a, was the critic intuiting something or was maurice going through a divorce or was he lonely or was he sad do you know well, I, I think what that is is because Earth, Wind, and Fire had, uh, given, had shut up really sure. at that point. Okay. You know, there there was word that he said, "I'm not gonna." After Electric Universe, he said, "I need a break from the band." Yeah. And actually, when we were doing Electric Universe, the album before this, he said, "The band doesn't have the fire mm. that I need." He said, "They've lost a little bit of that desire." Mm. I, I don't know if that's true, but but I did have that feeling that the band was on a slight. We've done it before. We, uh, Power Light was the album before Electric Universe didn't really take off mm-hmm. and there's a, a tendency that Maurice felt like, I, I know this for a fact that he felt like the band had be- become easy going about mm-hmm. we've made it, we're here so I think after Electric Universe and he decided to do the solo record, decided to be a producer and do, uh, you know, Barbara Streisand and other projects and Armed and m- Movies, that's where I think they're taking the loneliness from because he's become solo, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he made a sense. point of saying, I'm, okay. I'm going to do, do work on my own. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Track eight is Invitation.
Now, I saw conflicting things. I saw in one place that you wrote it, and I saw in another place someone else wrote it. And I assumed it was you because it reminds me a lot of Magnetic, which you wrote on Electric Universe. Yeah. Did you write this song? You know, I, I didn't. <laughs> okay. Okay, then Wikipedia <laughs> is right, got, uh, and allmusic.com yeah, is it, wrong. It, I think it's Wayne, I remember, if I can vaguely remember this, and I've got this right, I think it's Wayne Vaughan yeah. and Wanda Vaughan and Maurice White. Yeah. Uh, I believe, um, yes, that, that's that's the that's the people that wrote that. They, okay. uh, they get it wrong. On the 2001 issue, I can see that they got it wrong. Mm. But yes, it was... Um, Invitation was Gerald Brown, Wanda Vaughan, mm. Wayne Vaughan, and Wayne and the Vaughans were around. They were like us, Brian and me. Mm. They were they were like writers that came around him. So yeah, Invitation was written by them, and it's funky. And yeah. uh, and I remember when he was when he brought it in again. I thought you know it's a song I haven't written. I mean mm -hmm. I want to write all the songs, but mm -hmm. it had such a pulse to it. Uh, and then we were using the he wanted to use a vocoder, and I did, I did feel like you know this is this is really where, where we need to be at with like believe in love and some of the funkier elements. So yeah, that wasn't written by me, and they do credit credit it sometimes. Okay. And if they send me royalties, I'm quite happy about it. But no, it's uh... <laughs> okay. I wonder because like I said, it reminds me a lot of yeah. If it, I wonder because like I said, it reminds me a lot of Magnetic, and so I wondered, and that was the hit off yeah. of Elect Electric Universe. So I wondered if well, I, they, they were they were probably they were probably copying me. You know, well, they, that's they, it. They were just copying that's me. just it. That? Total yeah. plagiarism. That's what okay, I, put I get it, it now. Okay. All right. <laughs> Another great song. Okay, uh, track nine is Sleeping Flame, which isn't technically uh, an interlude, but it almost is. It's two minutes long. Uh, I yeah, believe you yeah. wrote this with Maurice and Peter uh, yes. Wolf. Yes. Anyway, this is very much like Sea of Gla Sea of Glass. Yeah. Where, uh, Peter Peter Wolf and I were playing together, just doodling, mm -hmm. and Peter come up with these beautiful chords. And um, I remember Maurice again that kind of thing where he would listen to what players were doing around the edge, and he'd say, "Develop that to mm -hmm. Peter." And Peter, as you can hear by the chords, it's it's his musicality. 
and me creating the melody with Maurice. Mm -hmm. And I wanted, we knew it was going to be unusual, and we were looking again, it is an interlude. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to write words for him that, we're, we're moving a little bit slightly, you know, I really felt that the album could do with some lyrics which bent the, the rules of R&B a little bit and went into that spiritualism mm -hmm. and the mysticism that, that he used to talk to me a great deal about. We, we really connected on some of the mystical sides of life. So The Sea of Glass was written in, in a way, and I think I can probably for people that are into this album, if they read the lyrics of Children of Africa and they mm -hmm. read my lyrics to Sea of Glass with Maurice, there's definitely that sense of landscape mm -hmm. and a sense of uh, wide landscape mm -hmm. and stepping outside of yourself a little bit. It, obviously, with Peter Wolf's keys, keyboards and his chordal sense, it's going to come from a jazz European flavor. He's Austrian. Mm -hmm. And so... For Maurice, and Maurice wanted to show off his vocals here. I mean, that's a hard song mm -hmm. to sing, rangy. I mean, mm -hmm. it's very, you know, it's it's those chords. Are, it's not it's not an easy thing to drop into. So Maurice wanted to do a piece which I think showed his vocals off in mm -hmm. a slightly different place from normal R&B singing, and that's where that. that came from. Okay, some of the articles that I read. Uh, one of them in particular, I think, maybe more implied that there may have been some a sense of competition or a little bit of jealousy around the success that Philip Bailey was having with Easy Lover and the Chinese Wall album that was around that same mm -hmm. time. Do you, was that a spoken thing? Was that known that Maurice felt challenged in a way and thought, I got to do, Philip's hitting it big right now, I got to do that too? No. Um, okay. But all I know is that I think he felt, I think I think he felt that he would have been, he, I, th I think he wanted to help um, this is what I gained, and I mean, uh, uh, I just remember that there was no no animosity or anything for Maurice. He's mm. a very very balanced person, but I do feel from him that I sense that because Phil Collins was so huge at that mm -hmm. time, and that Phil went to him. I think I, in my bones, it was like you'd have expected possibly Phil to mm. um, be, be produced uh, with Maurice as well. You mm -hmm. know, Maurice to be involved, mm -hmm. and I do know for a fact that Maurice wasn't happy with it. Phil Collins, in his mind. Had uh, nicked the horn section from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, you know, so yeah. I I know that that I know that he was a bit like you know maybe something happened you know that but mm. he, he the Phoenix horns were mm -hmm. suddenly in with Phil Collins all the time and yeah. I think they went out on the road with Phil and mm -hmm. I do sense I did sense from people that knew Maurice that they said something went was it went amiss there but I I don't think there was any. Uh, uh, I do know that in the early years, you know, I, I can see even in early videos that Philip Bailey, who's a, a, again, genuinely mm -hmm. beautiful man, was talking about doing a solo record and that P Maurice would probably produce it. And actually, mm -hmm. I wrote a song with Brian and with Philip Bailey for his solo album uh, oh. sometime before he was before he was doing it with Phil. We wrote a song called Underground together. So Phil was, uh, sorry, yeah, Philip Bailey was pushing to do huh. that. But I never sensed uh, any competition from uh, Maurice. Maurice is is a seen is very much above that. I mean, yeah. he really was. Okay. It was like if, if, Philip, if Philip did well, he he would he would be happy to see Philip do well. I think the only thing that I sensed was that the Phoenix horns suddenly were uh, with Phil Collins all the time and and traveling with him. And I I think something wasn't so good in that. Um, mm situation but okay uh, i'm not absolutely sure but okay. otherwise no no there was no bad blood at all good no good good to hear it uh okay essentially yeah. the last real track of the album is children of africa this is my other favorite song on the album
I love it Good. so much. Not yes, great. yes. And uh, something I want... This was, you should be. And it was written by you and Maurice and Peter Wolf. And the thing that was coming to mind is I thought, kind of going back to switch on your radio, did you feel a sense of... Was there pressure on... I mean, Africa is obviously so important to Maurice and it it's a muse for him always has been in his recordings and in his songs and you know a lot of the interludes a lot of the a lot of the songs you feel it I yeah. mean even the name of the band speaks to mysticism and stuff like that do you yeah. when did you yeah. feel a sense of responsibility writing that song that like I need to get this right I'm writing a song about Africa for Maurice White this has to be good you know what I mean I started this track with the rhythm. You know, if you listen to the beginning of the track, that's where I started at home. And I, I really wanted to create a terrific, a terrific earth, wind and fire rhythm yeah. that um, I dreamt that I dreamt. So if you listen to the intro of that song, that I grooved on an intro. Like all I did was groove for about 20 minutes at home. And I took this up to him with all these syncopated rhythms, all on the synthesizers, all doing that. And uh, I, I heard uh, E flat minor, all the, all the black notes and everything. It was just funk, crazy funk, but it had tribal um, talking heads feel about it. And I just thought, this is exciting. But I didn't know where it was gonna go. And I played, I just played my, uh, Maurice the Screw because I knew it was right. And I didn't even have a title for it, but you know, um, or the words. And he heard it. He said, I love this. I love where it's coming from. But we couldn't really develop it into a song. So mm -hmm. we brought Peter Wolf in and he developed it into, uh, moved away from my groove and, and found some chord sequences. Mm -hmm. And that um, the chorus I started is a very sing-along chorus, as you can hear with the kids mm -hmm. coming at the end. Yep. So it developed into this other thing. And then as it developed into that, Maurice would just sit with me and say, go away and write some words, get the mm -hmm. idea. And I did come home and I wrote the lyric, most of the lyrics for Children of Africa myself. And I, I thought about Maurice. I thought about Earth, Wind & Fire. Mm -hmm. I mentioned his son's name in the verse, mm -hmm. Cabral. And I really felt very strong. And as soon as I said to him, I think this is about, you know, it, um, the title is Children of Africa. And I wanted to create phrases and oblique senses of the desert and the senses of Egypt and the senses of uh, his life, mm -hmm. his life, and how he looked upon his son and, and Cabron, because Cabron was a beautiful, beautiful boy that looked almost like a prince. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a, when we came to the studio, you were looking at an Egyptian prince. Yeah. And so I wrote that thinking about his son and lyrically about him having a an anthem. Um, mm -hmm. And I really, um, you know, in some ways, I mean, there's a in the book, there's a story about Africa because what happened was Maurice let me produce the track. He said, mm. go in and uh, start the band off. And the story is because I'd done it all on synthesizers. And, so, and it's quite true that I had this great rhythm going and it was all syncopated. But we had in the studio Abe Laborio, John Robinson, and it was musicians. And I was sort of saying, well, I think we should do this all on keyboards mm -hmm. and do it like my demo because the demo's so funky. And Maurice was, you know, no, no, the players should get involved. So... Uh, <laughs> Mm -hmm. I couldn't get from the players what I, I played them the cassette and I couldn't get that same sort of thing I'd fallen in love with. I'd fallen mm -hmm. in love with my demo, mm -hmm. uh, the percussive electric, electric sound. And uh, I think the studio got quite tense. And Maurice mentions in the studio that 
that I'm six foot two and I've got a loud voice and I'm big and I'm done. No, lads, it's not mm-hmm. right. Uh, and, he, and he took me to one side and he said, let them just do what they want to mm-hmm. do. They're getting a bit confused and a bit tight. So I went, oh, we get it. it's not like the demo, Maurice. It's, you know, we're losing it. We're losing it. But he said, let go, go and have a cup of tea. And I went out the studio for 10 minutes and I was very frustrated because I thought they're never going to get this because it's nowhere near as good as a demo mm-hmm. and about 30 minutes later i walked in you know quite sort of expecting it to be falling to bits mm-hmm. and it was great yeah and uh, my ba- my bass line that i played on the synth abe laborio i totally changed it and was doing a sort of boo-doop battle boo-doop like remaining light like mm-hmm. talking heads mm-hmm. and i was like amazed and marie said marie just said look what they're doing and it was a great lesson for me so really, what I'm trying to say is that that was the, a great yeah. uh, learning curve for me, and it also was for the band because they were dealing with a you know if you listen to the program rhythms of this song, it's a mixture of me and also the band. That was really great to see that the musicians took took that song into a place I didn't even yeah. perceive. I'm particularly happy with the spirit of the piece. Yes. Um, and as the album starts, so the album starts with that sun rising, our sound mm-hmm. of the suspended chord just hanging in there. That's well, that's us putting the keyboards through AMS reverbs and just printing all the all the reverbs just mm-hmm. to send. And that, and the album finishes with that sound, mm-hmm. like the sun going down. That was yeah. our Ooh, interesting. That before this, before switch on the radio comes in, it's the sun coming up. Mm-hmm. And that, when children in Africa fades, it's the sun going down over the desert. Beautiful. And, uh, that was our vision for it, and um, out of the whole album, just like you, I feel that Children of Africa was yep. totally successful yep. in in its spiritual content, and I'm very happy with the lyrics. It's so it. beautiful. Um, okay, I have maybe a dumb question. Yeah. I don't know for sure. This is Children of Africa with a K. When do you use a K, and when yeah. do you use a C to spell Africa? <laughs> Nothing to do with me. That's Maurice. I is it? I don't know the answer. I, I saw I, that, and I thought... That is yeah, that a thing? Like is that. and I was surprised as well. Okay. He, he um I, I had Children of Africa and it was always that way until mm-hmm. I saw the album cover and I thought that's that's the way the Germans say Africa okay. and uh, South Africa. Sometimes they yeah. spell it that way. But he Maurice was a Maurice was very much into um astronomy. Mm. And uh, he before he before he put all the songs together in order, he used to spend a lot of time talking to some people that uh, he believed in who were spiritual on a different mm-hmm. plane mm-hmm. and uh he would look at the titles of every song again even and he would start to play with spelling mm-hmm. and it was to do with astronomy and what these people that he trusted all through his career would be talking of and on a higher level Got that it. was his thing i have no idea why mm-hmm. it became africa um it could be a bit like that brazil movie you know where yeah. a, a, a Maybe on the typewriter, maybe a fly dropped in just as they were typing it, and it went from C to K. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've never known. I, I didn't know if that meant something different or if uh, I don't, you know, yeah. I don't know. I just didn't know what that meant. Okay. No, no, it's a surprise, surprise to me. I remember when I saw it, I said, oh, I wonder why he's done that. But yeah. I do know over when I worked with him and we finished the mixes on this record, like at Soundcastle, going through three days at solid to, to beat a deadline. And I remember him saying then, he said, I've got to have two days thinking about where these songs fit together mm. spiritually and with with the cosmos. Mm. He was very, very much into wow. it. Even the way he would sing words sometimes. I mean, if you listen to 
Boogie Wonderland, the word is mirror, but he goes, Miro, Miro. Mm-hmm. And, and and you could keep on saying to him, saying, why does he say that? And he say, because it needs to be that. Um, oh. uh, I've been told it needs to be yeah. that way. And of course, you can you can laugh at this stuff and go, oh. but when I got close to Maurice later after over the years and was with him privately, um, everything was to do with being the best you could be. Mm-hmm. Physically, he was uh, always into being healthy, being fit talking to people properly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just want to impart this, that he was a gentleman all right. through this recording. Even even when we finished the record and it was Christmas, uh, he came to my, my house because my parents were over from mm-hmm. England and he brought them gifts. He was a man of great, great soul and spirit. Mm-hmm. But he was also, a, a, I think in a lot of ways, like myself, where people seemed to think they knew us, but we had to be alone a lot mm-hmm. to, to do our work. And so he was quite a quiet man, and he didn't go that. looking for fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so um, when when, an, when a lot of his decisions, I'm just saying this, and you could think, oh, it's because of commerciality, but he was uh, in a lot of his decisions, uh, yeah. final crea- artwork, everything mm-hmm. was to do with a a cosmos communication, which he would yeah. spend a bit of time. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. there, and I think that does show. Like, it's there, John, mm-hmm. and we can we can all mock it and laugh at it no. but if you listen to all that earth wind and fire work and if you mm-hmm. go to see them live at their best you are taken to another plane That's it. yeah and i can tell you i've been in the studio when he's been singing and uh you can see the way he works and you can see that it's uh, it goes beyond being technically right it goes mm-hmm. to he's always searching for something that is going to make you tingle mm-hmm. and is unexplainable so he was always searching for that you don't yeah. always get it but i must say i i, I think he was a true pioneer for yeah. saying, I don't mind if I miss here, yeah. but this is where we're going to go. And, and I mean, how can you run a, a bat, 12, 12, uh, 12 mm-hmm. players in a band and, and make them all happy for that period of time and to do such great work? Mm-hmm. It takes a great leader to do it that, does. a great leader. That's the, uh, I, everything you're touching on, the like I said, the mysticism, the the um, astronomy or astrology, the, all of that is part of the magic yeah. that makes him and Earth, Wind, and Fire, what they were. And you don't have to be on the same spiritual plane or wavelength as Maurice to get it. Maybe you maybe you do to feel it on a deeper level, but that's the spirit of what we're all feeling and hear when we hear that music. There's a spirit there, it's something, and whatever it is, it's the thing that's motivating Maurice to put out this genius, beautiful music, and that's fine. And well, we I, feel I, I, it, whether I, I, we understand I, I, it or we feel I, it. You're totally right, and and the way I I, I expressed it because I was writing some memoirs about this that the sound of Earth, Wind and Fire is sunshine. There's no yes. doubt. Yes, good one. Band, yes, this band is there. There is uh, even when they're being, so we say, more musical and taking us into minor areas and more thoughtful areas. Mm-hmm. There's a brightness. Mm-hmm. I know when I arrived in LA and I was always driving to the complex to see and work with them. You, you could hear the, when they came on the radio, you say, this is California, the sun's yeah. up, and this is all of Earth, Wind & Fire, like the Beatles. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Beatles were always about positivity and love in general. Mm-hmm. Everything was always there to lift you in some form and intrigue you. Now, the other side of it is Earth, Wind & Fire. They, even in their most moody places, it was always to do with love and mm-hmm. brightness and, mm-hmm. and joy. I mean, now if I listen to Serpentine Fire, I, mm-hmm. I, I just see sunshine. Mm-hmm. I just see That's sparks it. of sunshine. That's it. And even for my mum, you know, when she when I was growing up, before I even worked with Earth, Wind & Fire, she would, she would play the Earth, Wind & Fire 
records and she would be lit up by them. Mm-hmm. She said, they're really great, aren't mm-hmm. they? You know, the horns and the brightness and, mm-hmm. the, and the spirit and the spark and the brightness. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, they, they radiate. The best, they do. the best way I could say, and, when I, and I have to say, you know, people, when you work with people, you can be disillusioned. You can say, oh, I thought it would be like this working with them. Mm-hmm. You know, they aren't what you think. Well, they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in the studio with them recording live. Mm-hmm. And I was playing bass since with all nine of them, and Brian was playing mm-hmm. guitar. And as soon as you're around them and you're doing your thing with them, they are that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been disillusioned with thousands of artists I've worked with. Mm-hmm. Well, not thousands, but lots. <laughs> right. um, but with Earth, Wind, and Fire, with Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know, you walked into the room with them, and the way they spoke to you, mm-hmm. the way they um, honored the idea of making a record, nobody could be in the studio. My manager, Diane, mm-hmm. told me, she said, it's ever so unusual that you're allowed to be in the studio with them. They keep press away. They keep the record company away. Nobody is allowed near them. And it was like that. So you're in this, in this place where creativity had to, it was, that's all that was allowed to be there. There could be no other distractions. Mm-hmm. There were no drugs. You know, he mm. was very strong about that. There was no alcohol. He, he said to Brian and myself early on, before we even got going, he said, you two guys have such a great spirit and creativity of force. He said, don't destroy it with drugs. Nice. I've seen that through my career in Chicago, coming through mm-hmm. the blues, and don't get involved in alcohol. He said, mm-hmm. if you don't do that, your, your naivety, how you love music, is going to see you good. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I played the house, uh, house of Blues in L.A. with my own band, you know, he was there with the group. I mean, he was a great supporter. Mm-hmm. But what I want to really make sure I get across is <laughs> being with them was like that. Mm-hmm. How you imagined you would be in a yeah. studio with them mixing a record or playing, they, they had that force. I, yeah. I, you know, people might say star power, but I think it was an incredible positivity power. Mm-hmm. And musicians that had studied their, their instruments to uh, a fine fine place mm-hmm. um i can't imagine a better apprenticeship for mm-hmm. me to have been with maurice for th- three to four years I, yeah. I just don't think uh it was uh and, and and i was learning at that time and any mistakes i made he would just say you know it's who cares about the mistakes mm-hmm. the, the attitude and what you're trying your motivation mm-hmm. is right mm-hmm. and there's so much musicality in you guys so yeah. um yeah he, he i i see even this album we're talking about, even though it wasn't a success, mm-hmm. it's there's silk sunshine yeah. built into it. Yes, there it? is. That's you it. Know, it's built into it. Yeah, that's it. You sunshine almost, is the word. You can almost get a suntan from yeah, it. That's true. That's true. You're a lucky man. <laughs> uh, boy, to be that close to these guys is uh, what a blessing. Yeah, I mean, you know this. What a blessing. Yeah. Um, okay. I remember that uh, I just say this, I just yeah. say this because it was so unreal, unreal to us. It's the first day I worked at the complex with them. And I'm not a religious man at all, mm-hmm. but they were about to do Magnetic. And I thought, oh, my God, I hope this goes well. And I'm actually in the studio playing bass with them. And Verdine mm-hmm. White stood there, and I'd grown up studying them. I had to go in the toilet for about 20 minutes, pulled out my Bible that my father had given me. And I just stood, I just remember holding the Bible going, please, please <laughs> make this session work. It's so unreal what's happening. <laughs> and, and I thought, I'm not a religious man. I uh-huh. must be. But... um. I remember thinking then, you know, like this is an unreal situation for for me to be in, and I want to win the day. Yeah. But Maurice and um, and of course he was. I just mentioned this. He was an amazing drummer mm-hmm. uh, because uh, mm-hmm. he would be we would, we would we would be playing the tracks. And if the drummer, his brother Fred, wasn't 
getting what he wanted, he'd say, Fred, get off the drum kit. Mm. And he'd sit on there and he'd play it. And we'd all go, my gosh, wow. there, there's there's the groove. Yeah. There's the groove. So yeah. uh, I told a total... And you think about it, uh, and I, I do now, because when I do, I'm doing an album now with all the musicians who are on House of Stone and Light, and mm -hmm. you've got people, you've got to be able to manipulate people and communicate with them and make them feel unstressed and, and still let them do their thing. And here's a band with like 10 players, mm -hmm. and Maurice is just, you don't even know he's there, yeah. and yet they're all performing for him. Incredible. That's uh, you know, the great strength of a, of a quiet leader. He, w he wasn't a loud man either. Mm -hmm. He let you know when things could be better, but it was all to do with feel. And I yeah. think you mentioned that word, John. It's all to do with the nature and the character of a person's being when you're, yeah. when you're in a studio. You can feel it. I'm sure people like Quincy Jones are the same. You just know yeah. that quite quietly, uh, we're all, we all want to do our best. And yeah. that's a pretty powerful leader that can make that happen. I believe it. Okay, last song. We'll just touch on it. It already came up before Alpha Dance. This is another interlude. I did have kind of one question. It's uh, Diane Warren has a co-write on this. And I'm wondering why Diane, what did Diane Warren of all people contribute to this song and interlude? Um, I think that is because the track, when this interlude happened, because it was taken uh, at the I end of Believe in Magic. At, at the end. And they just said, Hey, let's solo uh, this, got let's it. solo that. Let's have the chance. And, okay. and um, you know, um, I think that's just honoring yeah. The, the the interlude came from that. In fact, on the on on, we, there's a, on the actual uh, 2001 reissue, there's three other songs that we did around that time. Adventures of the Heart mm -hmm. that I wrote with him. That that was a beautiful song that was on the uh, deluxe version. Mm -hmm. a song called Life that I wrote with Franny Gold and um, with Maurice. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what used to happen a great mm -hmm. deal. But, and I found out years later that. Uh, uh, on this uh, deluxe version, there's a track called Sam the Jam. You know, mm -hmm. it's Maurice White, Maurice taking the backing track of Switch on Your Radio and doing a, a, a kind of a DJ rap on it. Mm -hmm. So he was very, very um, into going back and doing different mixes of tracks. Cool. And I think sometimes, not always, but sometimes he would honor the people that had been involved in the right. uh, writing of the initial song. Great. Well, it's a, uh, I mean, it's kind of a lost classic. Everything we just got done saying in praise of Earth, Wind and & Fire and Maurice's artistry. None of that is missing from this album, and yet not that many people know about it, and they should. And so, you know That's what I true. mean? If yeah. you are a true fan of Earth, yeah. Wind & Fire and you support their various chapters and, you know, decades of their career, this fits right in there. It's a, it, And it's, you know, it's one of the better releases that of Maurice's career, and it deserves to be heard, but well, not that many right. people you're, know about it. I think you're absolutely right because if you look at um, Powerlight and um, mm -hmm. Electric Universe, which I was involved in, I don't think they're as balanced or as strong as Maurice's solo mm -hmm. record. No, I, would I agree. believe that Maurice's solo record had been 
you know, around the time of Powerlight or at the time of Electric Universe, mm-hmm. it could have been a great Earth, Wind & Fire record. Yeah. I think it was the, uh, the songs were better. Mm-hmm. I think the balance of the record is better. I have to agree with you. I think if you look at the whole Earth, Wind & Fire staple of, uh, if you're into them, mm-hmm. I think you'd look upon, if you, if you could just say this isn't a Maurice White record, mm-hmm. you could say this, is one of the, this could have been one of the stronger. Agreed. If you like the Earth, Wind & Fire sound, this would have been one of his, up, up there with their stronger records. Right? Agreed. I agree. Yep. Well, uh, thanks for doing this with me, Martin. And thank you for being oh, you. Because I, you know, I've <laughs> seriously, I, you know, I don't, my life has been enriched by you. And it, first and foremost, oh. I, you know, I mean, this podcast became a thing for me five and a half years ago. And I, yes. it's, uh, yes. as you know, being, it's my creative outlet, like singing or writing songs yes. is yours. And it means the world to you. And I've been able to connect with some of my favorite people in the world. And you were one of the first people we had on and you connected me with all these other people that mean a lot to me as well. And whenever I talk to somebody and I see your name in there somewhere, I make sure to drop it and mention it because I'm just grateful. Yeah. I'm grateful I, yeah, that yeah. you've helped me in my little career. Well, little it's, it's the same thing though, John, you know, I mean, we're talking about passion here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said before, if, if you love something, even how naive you are, as we start off, you've, you've got such a love for what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what Marie saw when, in me as a kid and, and my partner, Brian. So I think it's all down to your passion. And, uh, and if you, and you, it's, it's what you want to do. And, and I, and when songwriters say to me, when they ask, they go, you know, what should you, what you do? How would you advise a young mm-hmm. songwriter? I just say that almost like I'm sure it's for you the same way with your podcast. You you say I wouldn't be happy if I didn't do it. Yeah, and uh, that's it. it's what motivates me. And yeah. I, and I just and about happiness. You know, even if I'm not successful, I wouldn't be happy if I didn't do it. And I said that's the key mm-hmm. to anything that we do. Mm-hmm. You want you have to do it, and uh, it is tough. It's hard mm-hmm. at times, but you wouldn't want it any other way. You'd have mm-hmm. to do it. So. That's it. Um, I, I think that that's built into what you've been doing with these shows as yeah. well. Um, so Thank you. It's all, it's all related, really, John. Yeah. I think it's all related. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so lastly, mention, I know animals matter to you, and you always close out Radio Owl's Nest talking about animals. Is there a particular <laughs> thing or charity or focus you want to drive people toward or just a general sensitivity? Well, I, I, you know, I, I'm a great lover of animals, and I just think, you know, as uh, Paul McCartney once said, you know, if we could see all the slaughter, if the slaughterhouses had mm-hmm. glass windows, you know, we'd all be vegetarians. And I, I just feel like all this, I, I feel very strongly about the uh, unnecessary scientific experiment that's mm-hmm. done on innocent a- animals. We don't really need to do that anymore. There's other ways. It's obvious mm-hmm. through science that we don't need to be putting uh, animals through so much suffering. So. I do mention it on Radio's Owl's Nest, and I do support a lot of charities, but it's basically making people aware that you don't support uh, uh, animal testing. Mm. And people, any, any industry that does that is bringing cruelty to uh, animals that can't speak up for themselves. So it's mm. just my thing. You know, I've always, I've always probably felt closer to animals than I have to people. So, mm. uh, and I think, uh, you know, if you, if you look into it deeply, the suffering that uh, is... Uh, dealt out to animals is is just beyond um belief and also it, it on the other side of the thing it, it costs people it costs industries much more money to do this there's other ways of doing it so it's like uh, it's very obvious that we're 
we're working in in the dark ages with this. It's, it's Stone Age times. We don't need to be uh, blinding animals. We don't need to be degutting them while they're alive to test if it's good for a hairspray. Mm-hmm. Hairspray. So, mm-hmm. I just like to. I don't like to preach to people, mm-hmm. but um, it's my little Radio Owls Nest podcast. I do get a chance to talk about my love for animals, and and it seems that a lot of my my supporters over the years they are inclined to be that way as well. Mm-hmm. So I just like bringing it up and making Good. people aware, you know. Good. So thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely, again. absolutely. Well, thanks again, Martin. You're the best. All right, folks, there you have it, Martin Page. We're so lucky to know people like that and to get those kinds of stories and hear those kinds of experiences. We just love him around here. And Maurice White, let me tell you a quick story. I discovered this album only about three years ago. My wife and I were on vacation in Paris and we were walking down some back street and there was this little record store that was honestly about the size of like a public restroom. It was so small. And I went in, of course, even though I don't collect vinyl, and on the wall was a framed copy of this album. And you know, record stores only really do that if they're kind of showing off what their inventory is. You know, look what we have. Look at the special stuff we have. And that's when I saw it. I was like, Whoa, I didn't know, I don't think I even knew this was a thing. And so I went home and, and of course grabbed onto it. Anyway, I love Maurice White. I love Earth, Wind and Fire. We love Martin Page. Thank you for checking this out. I hope you liked it. Bye folks, we love you.